0: Well, good morning. My name is Matthew. I am a pastor here at Veritas Church. I have the opportunity to work uh, in biblical counseling here at Veritas. And so it's a delight to be here this morning. It's it's crazy when you're faced with the circumstances that we're faced with today even. It's, it's just a reminder of how the world offers us pleasures and comfort and, and it can fall through. It can fall through so quickly. And so... I hope as we consider, you know, the news, whether it be a Geneva Tower or we consider the news happening around the world that we realize how loosely um, to hold these things and really how hopeful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The gospel of Jesus Christ, nothing can take it away. Nothing can taint it. Nothing can impact the freedom that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, that's a lot of what we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to a people who are going to face persecution or even have begun to face persecution. And the writer of it is continuously going back to the people, as we've reminded you before, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's a better leader. He's better than Moses was. Where Moses got angry and struck a rock, Jesus Jesus didn't. He provided. Where priests failed to lead their families well and lead Israel well, Jesus didn't fail. And where sacrifices came up short, though they offered over and over again dozens and dozens of sacrifices, Jesus was the final sacrifice, and Jesus' final sacrifice was all that God needed, and we find grace flowing from there. So, as we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, meditating on Jesus, the motivator for living for Jesus. And even last week, as Michael discussed with us, God disciplines those he loves. Now, we separated discipline from punishment, right? Discipline is wanting longevity, setting a trajectory for safety and health and wise decision-making. And God is willing to do anything and everything to get your attention in that. He wants you to be holy. My sons, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. He disciplines those He loves. He is behind our hardship for our holiness. God wants us to be like Him. God is willing to walk us through dark and difficult situations to help us understand that he is better, that he is greater. And the text just kind of continues in chapter 12 with some verses here. And and I know that, you know, we've heard the news this morning that there has been hardship in our city. There's been hardship across the street And I'm wondering how how you do with hardship. Perhaps you're not feeling hardship. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about me. I, I don't deal well with hardship. In fact, when I was in school, I felt like English was a hardship to me. I was homeschooled. And this particular curriculum that we used liked to, like, emphasize English. And though I'm speaking English right now, English is a very difficult language for me. Especially when you have to diagram it out. And figure out nouns and adverbs. So I had figured out the perfect trick to deal with this hardship. Stuff the homework sheets under your mattress. Now, every homeschool family who's watching, check under the mattresses. I hope not. But I stuffed dozens of pages of really difficult English homework under my mattress. And I will never forget the day, it was kind of a spring day. My family was kind of home. We were kind of hanging loose. It was uh, nothing much going on on this Saturday. My mom said, today, we're going to flip the mattresses, which excited her and caused my heart to sink. And my mom lifted up my mattress, and there underneath them were dozens of English assignments, partially completed if maybe they weren't left totally blank. And so in that hardship, I took a shortcut and, and sadly, my nature hasn't changed since stuffing English homework assignments underneath a mattress. Recently, I was on a bicycle tour, and the sign said detour. And there were miles of signs that said detour, detour, detour. Turn right, turn right, turn right, turn right. And I thought, no, I'm not going to turn right. I'm going for it. And so, past one road close sign after the next road close sign, I kept going. And finally there were two signs stuck side by side and I had to wheel myself around only to find out that I wasn't going through that river. It was another shortcut that came up challenging for me. So as we have funny uh, stories of shortcuts we've taken in life um, and serious hardships going on around us, where are you tempted to take a shortcut? And not just in life or in circumstances, what about spiritually, on a different level? Where are you tempted to take a shortcut? It's interesting, we're in good company here. Uh, There's a story of two brothers in the book of Genesis. One was named Jacob, and the other was Esau. And Jacob was a gifted chef. He took care of things around the camp very well, and Esau was a gifted hunter. And the story goes something like this, that Esau went out and he was hunting, and he came back famished. Okay, Now, I don't think this is American famish where it's like, good Lord, I haven't eaten in 20 minutes. I think I'm going to die. Or where did my bag of chips go? That's how it goes in my house. But I think he was probably genuinely very hungry. And so Esau approached his brother who was making a meal and said, give me some of that soup. And I need it now. I'm going to die. Now, the interesting thing was that Esau was the first son. And God had given the first sons in the Israeli culture a gift called a birthright that he would lead his family that he would inherit most of the wealth for his family that he would lead his brothers and sisters in fact that they would also then serve him and jacob says i'll give you this soup you give me the birthright and so esau thinking doesn't seem like very long. He says, sure, I'll do it. Give me the soup. What good is a birthright going to do if I'm dead anyway? And so he takes the bowl of soup, and you don't hear much about it. But here Esau was hit with a hardship, even seemingly minuscule. And yet greater stakes were thrown into the mix, and he jumps. He goes for it and has his, his full temporary happiness. So, where do we go again with our hardship? And when it's spiritual, what are the implications of taking a shortcut? Our text today is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and starts in verse 14. And we kind of get this picture of what's happening. God has called us to Himself. God has proven himself to be a greater high priest. He's proven himself to be a greater savior than anything. The kings, the prophets, the priests. And he's challenging us to trust him in life. He's challenging us through hardship to be drawn close to him. And yet again here, he challenges us, those who believe, to run the race with endurance by encouraging us in verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone. That's not the whole verse, but I just want to pause right there. Strive for peace with everyone. As Christians, we ought to have the most unity of any group of people out there. As I've said multiple times, we have Jesus. Jesus unites us. We have this perfect sacrifice that covers all my sin and all your sins are capable of being covered in Jesus Christ. We have tremendous unity around that sacrifice. And then we have the family of faith. We've looked at the family of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses. We have a lot to be unified over. But in so many ways, we aren't unified. And it's interesting here... Amidst a discussion of running a race, enduring God's discipline which draws us to holiness, that we're called to strive for unity. It's not this picture of kicking up your heels and it'll just be good. It talks about struggle. When I think about strife, I think about running. I don't run. I they've invented the wheel a very long time ago. You should use it, those of you who run. Some of you who gear up for the summer and for running marathons, God bless you. You are gifted in a way that I won't be. I won't do it. But nonetheless, it's this picture of building up, picking up to do something, to do something difficult, to do something outside the normal. And we ought to strive for peace. And it's the gospel that brings us to peace. And for clarity's sake, I want to just walk through this picture of the gospel even before we go any further. That there is a God. There is a God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was formless and void. And God spoke everything into being. Everything. There was no one like God. There was no one that powerful. There is nothing outside him that existed. He created all things. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see where Adam and Eve sinned. Adam and Eve were a perfect creation living in a perfect garden. And they proved that perfect people in perfect situations aren't perfect. They sinned. When God said, I will provide for your needs and I will display it to you in this garden, Adam and Eve said, I think we need that fruit. Certainly, they were tempted by a serpent, but nonetheless, they wanted it and they took it. They partook of it. And it separates us from God. I was born dead in my trespasses and sins from Adam. Adam and Eve took the fruit, and my nature, when I was created, is to take the fruit. Serve me, I'm hungry. and it separated me from God. The Scriptures talk about me being an enemy of God. The Scriptures talk about me being dead in my trespasses and sins. Dead. Not comatose. Not in a deep sleep. But dead. I often think of the dead raccoons that we'll soon see along the highway. I know that's an awesome sight in your mind right now. But you think you see that and you think about it, that thing is gone. That thing is gone. There is no life in that thing. And that describes me before I knew God. That describes me after I was born, separated from God, I needed a Savior. We need a Savior. And who shows up to reconcile us to himself? There is a God. He made a way. Sin has come into the world and I have enjoyed it. I'm an enemy of God and God makes a way for me. God sends Jesus so that I might be saved. At the right time, Christ's come. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and all these people move around and there's this little town of Bethlehem. We celebrated this a couple months ago. And Jesus Christ is born and he lives the life we can't live but he dies the death we can't die and he raises again for you, for me. That's the motivating factor for us. I don't need to come in and sacrifice for my salvation. The sacrifice for my salvation is done and, and is done in Christ. God did the work, God com- covered my sin. He takes the punishment for my sin. And when I came to faith in Jesus Christ in fall of 2006, my sin didn't just vanish. The punishment for my sin didn't vanish. The scriptures say the wages of sin is death. Death was dealt, but it was dealt on Jesus Christ. Death was dealt on Jesus Christ for me. Punishment, that too was taken care of in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was punished for me. Jesus Christ died for me in my place. Jesus Christ gave me his works. And Jesus Christ gave me his reward, life. Freedom outside this world. And it's because of Jesus Christ, I then have the hope to live for Jesus Christ. And that's where our text is driving for us today, as believers to live at peace with one another, because we're united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I too was lost. There is nobody out there who was more lost than I. There was nobody out there, there is nobody out there who was as lost as you. When you stand separated from the holy creator of the entire universe, you are lost. And to all God offered his son, Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. While you were still an enemy of God, Christ died for you. And it's a beckoning call to all of his creation. Come, believe, repent, trust in the Lord, and be saved. And this is the unifying factor within the church, that we have all been there. We have all been lost. And for the church, all have been saved. So we have a lot of mutuality to go on, but there's this issue that happens upon salvation. God moves into your life. The Holy Spirit moves into you. You were in the flesh, and now you're in Christ, in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes His bags and moves into your life. And when God moves in, things start to get crazy. Things start to change. God gives you this gift And he begins to transform you. And it says here in our text, we should strive for peace with everyone, but we should strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. And this is why I want to stress that the gospel is a grace thing, unmerited favor. It's not about who you were. It's not about what you've done. It's about who God is. And he is holy And he is just, and he is the giver of good gifts. It's about the work that he has done. But here's a challenge for us who are in Christ: based off of what Christ has done, are we moving closer to God? Are we moving closer to holiness? Striving for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, we live in a church age and a religious environment where we will happily say, I will pray the prayer and I will do whatever the hell I want for as many years as I want. And that is not a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God calls us to holiness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, the scriptures say, Imitate God. Imitate God, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. Imitate God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the things you thought before. Have you brought them to the Scriptures, and do you think them now? Are you transforming from darkness to light? Are you pursuing holiness? And if you just read this text, just look at that. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. A lack of transformation in our life is perhaps a symptom that we don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Or perhaps that he hasn't saved us. If God of the universe moves into your soul, God of the universe is going to be exposed inside your life. Striving for peace with everyone, striving for holiness without which no one will see the Lord is a part of being a believer in Jesus Christ. But this is not something we necessarily need to do on our own. We have community to do this with. And we march on in verse 15. I'm just going to read the first part here. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now again, this isn't an element of works where if I do X, Y, and Z, then I might eke my way in. Okay, again, salvation is a gift. It is a result of the Holy Spirit at work. The wind blows. We don't know where it comes from and we don't know where it's going. We've experienced that this week. So it is with the Spirit. And so for those of you who claim faith in Jesus Christ, there's going to be this tension in your life and the tension in people around you. Am I bearing fruit that the Holy Spirit is in my life? Is he transforming my life in some way, shape, or form? And this is where we can go in. If I have a brother who I love, I have a, several friends in my life who keep an eye on my life and challenge me when it's like, hey man... Your behavior, your anger, your impatience. It's not lining up with the grace of God. They don't do it judgmentally. I've been burned by those people. They sit up on a throne and they look down at you, point out every screw-up that you ever make. It's not that. These guys love me. They see the Lord at work in my life and have a boldness from the Lord to say something to me because they love me. Yeah, there are those people in the church who sit up on the throne and they're like, you screwed up there, screwed up there. Dumb. And that's not what he's calling here. There's this urgency. There's this concern. Like see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. If you claim grace of God, I want to pursue you in that. Are you misunderstanding the gospel in some part of your life? Jesus can take that anger. Jesus can take that self-control. The grace of God has been extended to you. Grasp hold of it. We do this in community. I think about a group of runners. When they're out there doing like 12, it's so much easier. So I've heard that to run with 10 or 12 people because you have people to encourage you in that race. You're not just out there alone. You need brothers and sisters to come alongside you and say and reveal to you Perhaps spots in your life that you don't want to see. Or maybe you don't, but I don't want to see them. I don't want to see those corners in my life. I don't want to be challenged in those corners. And they point those things out to me as a concern for my soul. And so within this text, we have three things brought up for us to watch out for. The root of bitterness, sexual immorality, and taking lightly what God has given commanded. Let's read on here in the next verse or the next section of this verse. It says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness. When God disciplines or challenges you in life, how do you respond to that? Are you interested in learning more about his holiness or how he can care for you? Or are you interested that he screwed up your plans? That's a recipe for bitterness in our life, and it plays out in multiple situations. In Deuteronomy, God is talking to the people of Israel, and he's warning them before they get into the promised land, watch out for this root of bitterness. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18, beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the word of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I'll be safe. Though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, this will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and the dry light. It gives us a little bit of a picture of what bitterness looks like. Bitterness looks like, I can't take this. I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to turn from God. Bitterness looks like pride. What is he doing? Does he even know the situation that I'm in? I can handle this on my own. I will handle this on my own. I don't need a God anyway. And lastly, bitterness can spread like poison. That is a false gospel. That is a false gospel. When you give in to the fact that there isn't a God, that He couldn't possibly work through hardship, that you're going to do it better than He can do. And it spreads like poison and discourages and destroys. And then we go back to the person I first mentioned, Esau. He references him. We've had so many positive, encouraging stories. We have Noah. We have Abraham. We have David and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Samuel. And finally, he gets down to a more negative uh, example here. And he says, see to it that no one uh, fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. It's one thing to talk about holiness and generalize unholiness is just sin. Sin is a massive category of things that offend God. So God is creator. There is nothing that exists outside him. And so we as creatures want to honor our creator. And when he come into things like bitterness, which tries to take control of the situation, or sexual immorality, um, these are specific issues that the concept of sin addresses or contains. And in reality, sexual immorality is not much different than bitterness. God is messing up. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, Esau, he had the opportunity. He had heard the promises of God. Undoubtedly, his family had spoken about them. And he knew what God was capable of doing. He knew about the promises of God. He had probably heard about the flood in which God saved a family. And here he is coming in from hunting. And again, it's probably not that he hadn't eaten in 30 minutes like most of us Americans, or me, I guess. We'll just talk about me. Um, It was that he might have gone without food for days. But God wasn't big enough to take care of his hunger. And through the wisdom of his father, he was directed, hey... Marry these people. And he's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to marry whoever I want. And so sexual immorality, you know, as Deuteronomy said, you know, people are turning from God to gods within these nations. And we are turning, I think, in this country to a God called sexual immorality. We are taking what God has designed and we are making it whatever the heck we want it to be. How is God keeping pleasure from me as a single teen or college student? I will get pleasure. I will seek pleasure. Esau didn't like God's calling through his dad for him. He made his own way. And in this, many of us make our own way. I will get somebody and I will get pleasure. And it happens within marriage. Sexual immorality, bringing someone else into your marriage, whether digitally or physically, or through books or magazines. Your pleasure, your way, right? Not impurity. God can't sustain you when you're hungry. God can't sustain you when you have a desire. But throughout the scriptures, we see God saying, I will give you, I have saved you from the worst thing ever. I have provided manna for a people in the wilderness. I have split the Red Sea. We're not going in chronological order here, okay? I have provided Jesus when I promised you that he would come. And you're here saying, I need pleasure. God's failed me. Where is God? I need this. Does he realize that my identity is anchored on this? And he says, I'm your identity. I'm your creator. And so in this tension all around us, we see a sexual immorality brought up and then we see unholiness like Esau. Esau belittled the promises of God. It's interesting that in 1 Corinthians 10 31 it says and whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all for the glory of God and in Colossians three seventeen, it says and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him and we're just talking about meals. Esau belittled God. Esau acted in a way. I wonder if he would have spoken in this way. But he acted in a way that said, God is, I'm going to starve to death. I'm done. Oh my goodness. I'm done. What good is a birthright for me anyway? And he was unholy. He belittled God. He shrugged off the God-given gift to the firstborn in Israel. So here's the issue. What shortcuts? What what are the impacts of shortcuts in our spiritual life? Well, the reality is shortcuts in holiness, no matter the situation, don't get us any closer to God. Or to say that positively, striving for endurance no matter the situation gets us God. Striving no matter the situation gets us God. We're going to face hardships if God loves us and is discipling us and shaping us and drawing us closer to Him, we're going to face hardship. God says, here I am. Here I am. Look to Me. Trust Me. Don't put your hope in earthly, fleeting things. Don't put your hope in cars. Their engines blow up. Don't put your hopes in jobs. They might cease. Don't put your hopes in health. There can be a pandemic. Don't put your hopes in homes. There can be fires. Strive to place your hope in God. God doesn't call us onto a journey and then say, good luck. Have a great time. We'll see you later. He walks alongside us. Both the spirit in us and the community around us to push us and point us back to Jesus Christ no matter the circumstances. No matter the circumstances. Strive for endurance. There's no circumstance that you can say, Because this happened, I get to do this. And the I get to is disobedience. Because of derecho, I don't get to yell at my insurance guy. Because of funding, I'm going to live with my girlfriend to save us money. Because I'm late, I get to speed. God is a great high priest. He is the great sacrifice. He is the great Father, and He knows exactly what we need. He knows every sparrow that falls, He knows every hair of your head. He knows exactly where you're at, He knows exactly what you need, and He can sustain you even while you wait. Strive for endurance. No matter the circumstance, the warning for Esau doesn't doesn't end there, and, and we should consider it as well. Um, if Hebrews chapter twelve, I'm looking in verse seventeen. There, this is his story. Uh, for you know that afterward. When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That verse probably isn't on your mug in your uh, in your cupboard. So what do, you, what do you do with that? I mean, whether you like it or not, here it is. What do you do with that? Isa continually displayed a heart that says I've got this what else could I need or I need it right now don't make me wait Esau wanted the blessing without the commitment Esau wanted heaven without holiness do you? Do we want heaven without holiness? Do we want, just just get me in. In fact, I thought this actually as a kid. This is no joke. I'll just repent. I'll just repent on my deathbed. I can do whatever I want. And then when things look bad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and say, God, God forgive me. I've done a lot of crazy things. And he'll save me. It'll be great. I'll do whatever I want. And in the last moment, I get Heaven. That's not a pursuit of holiness. That's not living out the gospel. That's not representing Christ to the world and to your friends. And in Esau's life, he saw testimony of God's faithfulness. He heard testimony of God's faithfulness and he'd witnessed even even in his rebellion, God provided food for him and yet he continued to rebel. Now, when you study a text like this, you all of a sudden find out there's a whole lot of arguments over certain words. And there is a great debate over what what did he seek with tears? Was he seeking repentance, or was he seeking the blessing? And I think you could say he was seeking repentance. It was rejected from him if you look at the rest of Deuteronomy and you go to Romans 9. But, But what does it matter whether it's blessing or repentance? Esau came to a point in his life where it was not Available to him. Hear that is a, as an urgency for you to repent, repent and believe. What does repentance mean? I'm going this way, I'm doing things my way, and I turn away from them and I go towards God. Is it easy? No. But it is a change from what I had been doing to what I need to be doing. It was a transformation. And the challenge with Esau, this happened over years. It happened over years for him and yet he did not turn away, though he had many times to repent, many times to consider, where's my heart in this? And here you are. Here you are. Where are you taking shortcuts in your spiritual life? It's fun to celebrate where God has moved. It's fun to celebrate maybe a win in the battle against lust or a week of wins in a battle against an addiction and praise the Lord for those steps. But where aren't you acknowledging sin in your life? Are you happy to serve other people and not happy to serve at home? Are you gracious and loving to strangers that you bump into who might even frustrate you, but you're frustrated and angry with your children or your wife, spouse? Where is it in your life that you're not addressing sin? Do you have seven wins, but you have three areas that you don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole? Those are my spots. I remember that. My first round of college, I had two, maybe three, I guess, two and a half. I don't know. Anyways, uh, let's not talk about me. In my first round of college, back to me, in my first round of college, there was a guy down the hall who said, you know what, from 9 to 10 p.m. on Friday night, it's me. There's no God, it's just me. And I do whatever, whatever I want. He was kicked out a few weeks later. But is that is that life for you? Like, here's the challenge of this text. And the concern for for the church, for Veritas, for you who are hearing this message, like pursue holiness without which you will not see the Lord, without which we will not see the Lord. Where is a part of our life that we're not bringing in under his will, that we're not submitting to him? Or are you in the battle? Are you fighting the war? There's a beautiful story that's happening in this church of a couple that I have the sweet opportunity of working with, Larry and Sylvia Anspaugh. And we do this program called Steps. And you've perhaps heard about it. And during one of the weeks, we start to shift into a time called assessment. And they or another couple in our leadership team spend the time of both describing the work that needs to be done in assessment and in that sharing a little bit of their story. And they blew my socks off again this last time when I said, okay, you're going to teach assessments and share a little bit of your story. How when they came to read the assessment and prep for the assessment, they realized like, whoa, I'm still struggling in this area. I'm still struggling here. I'm still clinging on to things. I'm still kind of doing it my way. There's still tension here. And upon realizing that there there had been maybe a gap of something they haven't observed in a while when they came to study the assessment to share it with our our class, they realized, I need to repent. I need to consider what I've ignored here for a little bit, what has slipped, and they repented. Are there areas of your life this morning that you need to repent of? We don't do it perfectly. I'm not preaching perfection. We will be perfect in the presence of Jesus when he fulfills that promise to us. But in this earth, we are called to holiness believers. We are called to give all the back corners, all the tiny closets, every part of our heart to God. To leave no stone unturned as we pursue holiness in our life with God. Are there spots that are revealed? There's hope we can repent, repent of sin. So that is the the call to us as we've maybe assessed our life, perhaps today in this brief amount of time, as we've considered what's been going on, where are areas that you need to repent? And in that, we're about to take communion here on site. And so reflect, reflect on that. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, no matter how bad those dark corners have been, we can actually bring them to the light. We can address them because of the love and work of Jesus Christ. We can acknowledge that we haven't been striving. I haven't been striving for peace. I haven't been striving in the area of sexual immorality. I have been bitter. I've been angry. And Jesus says, come to me, you. You who are weary, you who are heavy laden, I I will give you rest. Confess your sins; I will be faithful and just to forgive your sins. And He displayed it for us at the cross. Where have you taken shortcuts, religious person? Come to the race. Come endure. So the way we take communion here is there are stations around the room with a little juice and it's supposed to be bread on top. I don't know. But this bread and this juice represent the body of Christ and the blood of Christ which was shed for you. And perhaps you've never considered like where is Jesus at in my life? Would you consider that today? Would you consider... Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved, we'd love to discuss that with you. Love to discuss that with you. It would be awesome. But being made right with the Father is possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what we as a church are called to remember. Perhaps you're not in the right place to come and take this. And that's fine. You do not have to come and take this. I would encourage you, though, to evaluate your life. Where are you not pursuing holiness? And take a minute, take two minutes, listen to the songs, and repent. Turn from that sin to godliness. Make steps to help yourself battle that issue this week. No matter the circumstance, the blood of Christ is available. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Um, You are great. God, we are so grateful for your supremacy over absolutely everything. It's because of you we can hope no matter what the situation. God, and so I pray and ask for those people who make Veritas home and for our guests today, God, that we would really spend some time considering your great love for us. God, that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us, that the wages of sin is death and you paid that. You've made a way for all of us to come. God, would you convict us in areas that we have ignored for perhaps our own comfort? Would you convict us in areas where we have said you have failed us? We'll do it our own way. And God, may we surrender those things to you. Trusting your sovereignty, trusting your supremacy, God, And trusting that you are working something good inside us. God, that you are drawing us close to you. God, you're great. Thank you for Jesus.